Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 105, Lav Mics, Which Ones to Buy and Why. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks for listening in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Here on the podcast, we talk about all things video from lob mics like we're going to talk about today to script writing, storyboarding, and how to price your work. We talk about it all on the podcast. We also have a Filming with Josh Facebook group. So be sure to go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh, and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a continuation of this podcast. It's also a place where you can share your work, ask for feedback, post questions, and things of that nature. So we'd love to see you there. For those of you watching this on YouTube, just note that we are available on Apple as well as Spotify and on Podbean. And if you're listening on one of those platforms, just know that we are also available on YouTube as well. And that's important to know because today's podcast is all about lav mics and we're going to be on the computer a bunch today. We're going to be recording my screen. We're going to be going through some things um, and talking about different uh, lavalier microphones. And so if you are wanting to really follow along, of course, you can get plenty of information from just listening to this podcast. But to really learn and observe, I would recommend going and watching this on YouTube if you're not already. So you can look at the different mics and the different accessories and things that we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, before we dive into my screen recording and uh, look at the different lav mics, I want to talk about why I'm doing this podcast. I want to talk about lavs in general. And I want to give you some background information on lavalier mics, things to look for, and things of that nature. I do want to suggest bringing your thinking cap and maybe a pen and paper because we're going to talk about a lot today. So this is going to be a pretty in-depth podcast. We're not going to talk about every single lav mic on the market, but we're going to talk about quite a bit of lavs, um, things to look for, things not to look for, um, what are good lavs, what are maybe things you should avoid in lavs. And again, we're going to talk about different things that uh, you should pay attention to when buying a lav mic. So there's going to be a pretty information-filled podcast, and hopefully you'll learn something from it. I want to start by saying this. Several years ago, I did a podcast on a uh, a Netflix documentary that came out. And I can't remember the exact name, but I think it was American Murder. And if you go back and listen to that podcast, you'll hear that one of the things that I loved about that documentary was the fact that it was driven pretty much entirely by um, video footage that came from police body cam footage, ring doorbell footage, um, dash cam footage, and things of that nature. And how the story was woven together, plus the audio quality is what made it really, really good. If you sit down and you watch that project, you will see that the video files the video, the footage doesn't look good. I mean, it, it, it's not a great looking project because you're looking at doorbell footage and dash cam footage and body cam footage. But the audio and the way it was cut together to tell the story is what made that project so great. Audio is so important to video. And in my opinion, I actually think it's more important than the visuals. You can sit down and watch a Netflix film or a documentary or a uh, a feature movie and it could have really great visuals but if the sound isn't there you'll turn it off more than likely but if the visuals in the case of like American Murder aren't the best but the sound is good and the story is good people will still watch it 
sound, in my opinion, is more important than the visuals. And that's why it baffles me when people will go out and drop tens of thousands of dollars in their camera bodies and will spend hardly any money on sound. Same is true about lighting. People will spend tons of money on cameras, but will hardly spend any money on lighting. I actually tell people that it is in my opinion that you should spend about a third of your investment into your video business on uh, your camera equipment, a third on the lighting equipment, and a third on your sound equipment. In fact, if you were to look in my office today at all the equipment I have behind me, about one third of it is audio gear, about one third of it is um, a lighting gear, and about one third is cameras, lenses, and supporting gear, uh, financially speaking. Like there, it's, it's, I've invested about the, uh, you know, equal amount on all three of those categories because I realize that they all three are so important in creating a great product. Lighting is crucial for good video. Of course, you want to have good cameras and lenses, and then sound is what brings it all together. So I think you should invest similar amount of money in lighting gear that, as you do your cameras and lenses, and the same is true about your audio equipment. It's very, very important. Now, if you're just doing DP work or you're just cam mopping and you're bringing in a professional sound mixer all the time, or the company you work for, maybe you're an employee, is bringing in a professional sound mixer all the time, then sure, fine. If you don't, if you don't want to spend much money in sound, I get that. But if you're wanting to do your own sound, you need to have decent sound equipment. Now, I will say, you don't have to have the most expensive, but you should have some pretty good quality gear, and you should have a variety of gear to cover different situations. Different mics are better for different situations. For example, booming outdoors is really greatly done on a shotgun mic, but if you bring a shotgun mic indoors into a room where there's a lot of reflections, the rear lobe on the back of that shotgun mic, the pickup pattern, makes it a poor choice for booming in, indoors with reflections. That's when you should look at something like a cardioid or supercardioid mic. So having a variety of mics to cover different situations is really important. And if you're not going to bring in a sound mixer and you're doing your own sound, then these are things that you should consider when buying sound equipment. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about lobs and I want to talk about things to look for in lobs and help educate you on what makes a good lob good and which ones are, which models are out there for you to choose from. I want to start by talking about why you should Im invest money in aftermarket lobs. When I first got started in video, my very first wireless system was the Sennheiser G3 system. And the lob mic on it was an ME2. That's what came stock with that system. And it wasn't bad per se, but it wasn't a great mic. It was passable. And the same is true when I switched over to the Sony transmitters the and the Sony UWP system, which is what I run today. Sony is what I consider, and, and Sennheiser, I would consider those prosumer wireless audio kits. And if you want to learn more about wireless audio, I actually did a whole podcast on that several weeks ago where I talk about different wireless systems. And in my opinion, there are three tiers. You've got consumer, which is your like your DJI mics, your Rode wireless goes. Those are the ones that run in like a 2.4 gigahertz band. Then you've got like your UHF prosumer mics uh, or transmitters receivers, I mean, and those are going to be like your Deity Theos, your Sony UWPs, your Sennheiser G3G4s. And then you've got your professional series uh, wireless transmitters and receivers. These are going to be in the thousands of dollars per per channel. And that's going to be like your Zaxcom, your uh, Shures, your um, Electrosonics, etc. Those are your more expensive professional uh, grade 
transmitters and receivers. And as I said in that podcast, I think if you are a professional sound mixer, obviously the goal is to invest into the professional transmitters and receivers. But for most people um, getting into the prosumer line, the DD Theos, the Sony UWP, the wire, uh, wireless systems by Sennheiser, such as the G3, G4s, those are going to suit most people pretty well. And that's what I have. I run Sony UWP series transmitters and receivers. Uh, I've got their handheld mics. I've also got their plug-on transmitters. I'm pretty invested in it. I think they're great. And they suit me in the projects I do really well. Anything beyond that, I'll bring in a sound mixer. So for most people, I think that's a good place to be is in the prosumer line of wireless. But again, if you want to learn more about that, go ahead and listen to that podcast I did several weeks ago that was all about wireless audio. But whether you're buying a consumer, a prosumer, or professional series of wireless transmitters and receivers, it is important to note that the stock lob that comes with them usually are not very good. They'll be passable to get you by for a while, but eventually you're going to want to probably upgrade and and get into an aftermarket lob like we're going to talk about today. And the reason is, is that what really makes the sound on a wireless system is the lavalier mic. Now, there are things like preamps and, and, and whatnot that can affect things later on down the chain in terms of gain staging and where you're recording to and how good are the preamps on, on, on what you're recording on and how clean is the noise floor on your wireless transmitters and receivers, et cetera. I mean, all that can affect the quality of the sound, but the majority of the sound comes from the actual mic. And when you buy into something like a Sony or a Sennheiser, a Rode, a DJI, et cetera, those come with consumer level lobs that are going to, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to be able to hear what people are saying, but they're not going to give you that richness, that fullness that you're going to get from some of these other lav mics. And they also are usually really big, hard to hide under clothes. A lot of them don't handle wind very well. Most of them can't handle water. I mean, there's a lot of other things beyond just the sound, but the sound is a big part of it. So investing in, in into a more professional level lavalier mic should be something that you should consider doing down the road as you want to improve the sound in your video projects. I like to think of lav mics like lenses. When you buy a camera, you want to buy nice lenses to pair with your camera and different focal lengths help you accomplish different tasks. Lavs are kind of similar. When you buy into, let's just say you buy into a Sony UWP series system like I have. If you invest in something like that, the stock lav that comes with it is like a kit lens that comes with a camera. But once you start investing in higher tier lavs, it's like buying good glass. And there's different lavs that cover different situations, similar to how different focal lengths cover different situations in filming. So that's how I like to think of it. And if you buy a camera, obviously, eventually you wanna buy nice glass, and that's exactly how I see lav mics. When you buy into a wireless system, eventually you should wanna buy nice lavs, just like buying a nice lens. So that's how I see lav mics. Now, I wanna start by getting into some of the specifics of what makes lavs different from one another. One is obviously the sound itself, but there are some tangible items that you can actually look at on a spec sheet that can help you understand more about the nature of a mic. One of the first ones is the Max SPL. A lot of the mics that come with your, your prosumer, consumer, or even professional series uh, transmitters and receivers, those kit lobs tend to have a lower SPL rating, sound, sound pressure level. And what that means is this, is a common misconception that when 
when you think about clipping your audio, having the audio be so loud that it clips and distorts, you tend to think of that happening based on the recording levels, right? And so most people think that if you get your recording levels down and they're not clipping, then you're good. Your audio is not going to clip. But that's actually not entirely true. There's a lot more to it than that. And it all starts with the mic. The mic's maximum sound pressure level determines how loud of a sound that particular mic can handle. And every mic has a max SPL rating, whether the the company posts it or not, whether you're buying a shotgun mic, a cardioid mic, a headset mic, a handheld mic, or in this case, a lav mic, there is a maximum sound pressure level associated with that mic. And that is the loudest decibel level that the mic can capture before it distorts. And so your more consumer level mics, especially the kit ones that come with your, your systems when you buy the kit, they tend to have a lower max SPL rating. So the decibel level isn't as high. And so when you are trying to capture loud sounds, they'll blow and bust. Now, what do I mean by loud sounds? Like what would be a loud sound? Well, some of those mics can't handle shouting, screaming, yelling, singing. Those things would even blow the SPL rating. And so you, if, you're, if you know you're going to film like a football coach, you're going to mic them up and you're doing a project about a football team, that coach is going to be blowing a whistle. That whistle's loud and that lit whistle could blow the max SPL rating. And if the coach is yelling at the players or, or cheering on the players, he's going to get really loud. And if your mic can't handle the SPL, the, uh, the, the sound pressure level that's coming from the coach, it'll clip and distort before it ever gets to the transmitter, receiver, or recorder. So the max SPL rating on a mic determines how loud of a sound the mic can handle. And depending on what you're doing, you want to really pay attention to that. If all you're using your law for is to film a sit-down interview, uh, and maybe you're going to use this as backup to a boom or something, then maybe you don't need a super high SPL. But if you're filming people on stage who are giving presentations, who are going to tend to talk louder, if you're filming uh, people that are going to be coaching people, cheering people on, things of that nature, then you need to pay attention to the max SPL rating. And lobs are used for things beyond just filming people. It's quite common, for example, to take a lav mic and hide it in the back of a car for a car commercial to get the sound of the exhaust system on a specific model car. And that's pretty loud, right? So you want to pay attention to the SPL rating on the lav because the, the, the louder or the higher the SPL rating is, the louder sounds it can capture, the better off you're going to be for capturing something really loud like that. Gunfire is another thing. Sometimes people will take lavs and mount them to guns to get or recreate the sound or capture the sound of a specific gun. Well, as you can imagine, different caliber guns are going to create really high decibel noises. And so to be able to capture that, you need a mic that can handle it. So one of the first things you want to look at on a mic is what is the max SPL rating? And that'll tell you how high of a sound that you can capture. I tend to like mics that have a max SPL rating of 120 decibels or higher. Doesn't mean that you can't get a, a mic that has a lower max SPL than that and, and, and not be happy, but personally, I want it to have at least 120 decibels of max SPL, and that'll handle most things. Um, beyond that, it, it you know you, you start to look at lower sensitivity level mics, which we'll talk about today, which can capture extremely loud sounds. But I think I think as long as your mic has at least 120 decibels of max SPL rating, I think for most situations you're going to be pretty good. Now another thing to pay attention to is a mic sensitivity. 
And unfortunately, Mike's sensitivity ratings are all over the place. And what I mean by that is if, if you look online, and we'll look at some of this today, the way that certain manufacturers rate their sensitivity is different than others, which is really annoying. They're not all using like one measurement. But what you need to know is this. Mics have different sensitivity levels. And the sensitivity of a mic is basically how hot of a signal it sends out. The hotter the signal the mic sends out, the lower your gain levels need to be for normalized dialogue or things like whispering, stuff like that, where moments are going to be really quiet. If your mic has a really high sensitivity and it's sending out a really hot signal, you can keep your gain down when people are talking or even whispering, and that keeps your noise level down. If a mic has a lower sensitivity, in order for you to hear normal speaking, and especially to hear things like lower talking levels or whispering, you have to jack your gain up in order to be able to hear it well. And, and that's whether you're jacking it up in, in camera or in your recorder or whether you're jacking it up in post. But whenever you jack up your gain, you're going to be increasing the noise floor or the noise level. So the more sensitive a mic is and the hotter the signal it sends out, the quieter you can make the noise floor and the better off you are for capturing normal level speaking or even whispering. The lower the sensitivity, the more you're gonna have to jack, jack, jack your gain up and the more potential risk you run of increasing background noise. And a lot of that can be cleaned up today. Programs like Isotope um, or even some of the options in Resolve today are really good at cleaning up the noise floor, but it still adds work to your workflow and post and runs the risk of um, you having you d change the voice uh, on a particular person if you're like filming dialogue, for example, by having to remove noise from their voice. So it's it's important to pay attention to the sensitivity levels on a mic. Now, why would you want a mic with a low sensitivity level? Well, usually a mic with a lower sensitivity level is going to have a higher max SPL rating. So if you are filming something like exhaust pipes on a car, you probably don't care about low level sounds like whispering. So you might want a mic that's got a lower sensitivity because you're not worried about that. You're just worried about loud sounds. And so that might be a good choice for you. But if you're filming normal dialogue, you probably don't want that. You probably want a mic that's more sensitive that sends out a hotter signal. So that's something to pay attention to when you buy into a lav mic. Another thing to pay attention to is the dynamic range. And the higher the decibel of dynamic range that a mic has, the quieter it's going to be in the quiet moments, like the less noise floor you're going to have, and the higher the max sound pressure level is. So if you understand what max sound pressure level is, again, the loudest sounds it can capture before it distorts, and you understand what sensitivity means, which is how, how uh, sensitive a mic is to quieter sounds, like how hot the signal is, that range is the dynamic range. And mics that have a higher dynamic range are going to allow you to capture cleaner sounds that are quieter while not blowing on really loud sounds. You can think of it, if you're a videographer or photographer, you can think of it as like dynamic range in your camera. So on a, on a camera, right, the, the bigger the dynamic range you have, the more information you can have in the highlights and the shadows at the same time. And the same is true about a mic. The higher the dynamic range it has, the louder the sounds it can capture, but also the quieter sounds it can capture the clean noise for. That's what that means. And manufacturers tend to list the max SPL rating, the sensitivity rating, and the dynamic range of a mic on the spec sheets. And that's those are things that you want to look for. And again, sometimes they use different measurements, so it can be kind of confusing if you're trying to compare one to another. But I'll show you some examples here in a minute when we go to the computer that will kind of 
give you an idea of what to look, of how to like look for that on the spec sheet. But those are three things that are really important to know when you're thinking about buying into a lav mic. Now, I want to make this note. If a mic has a really high dynamic range, it doesn't mean that right off the bat, you can just plug it into your transmitter and tap into that full dynamic range. You start to pay attention to gain staging. And gain staging is this. I said earlier that the level and like like a mic clipping, for example, from having too loud a sound, that start, starts with the mic. It starts with the max SPL rating that a mic has. It all starts there. And once you have a mic that's not clipping, like if, if, you, if your sound is not too loud for the mic, you next have to pay attention to the transmitter because if it's too loud on the transmitter, like if the transmitter settings are too high and it clips on the transmitter, even though it's not clipping on the mic, if it's clipping on the transmitter, then you've ruined all your audio because it's already clipped by the time it gets to the receiver in the quarter. So you first got to make sure that your mic can handle whatever sounds that you're going to, you know, however loud a sound you're going to be capturing. Then you got to make sure your transmitter is set to where it's not too hot of a signal. Then you got to check on your receiver because some receivers have the ability to change the output settings like my Sony receivers do. And if I'm sending too hot of a signal from my receiver and it's clipping on the receiver or on the output of the receiver, then again, even if it's not clipping at the mic or the transmitter, I've ruined it at the receiver. So it's got to be good on the mic, good on the transmitter, good on the receiver, and then lastly, good on the recorder. See, a lot of people buy into these 32-bit flow audio recorders today. Uh, I have one myself. I have the uh, uh, Sound Devices Mix Pre 6.2. It's amazing. But 32-bit float is not just some magic fix-all for audio. It's not how it works. And I think a lot of people think that that is the case. Like, oh man, I got 32-bit float. I never have to worry about running my sound levels again, but that's not true because it all comes down to gain staging. If it's blowing on the mic because the, the, the sound is too loud for the maximum sound pressure level, and it doesn't matter how good of a file, 32-bit float file you have, the, the audio is already ruined because it clipped on the mic. And even if it doesn't clip on the mic, if it clips on the transmitter or it clips on the receiver, again, it's clipped before it ever gets to that 32-bit float file. So 32-bit float, it's great in certain situations, but it's not going to save your butt if it clips on the mic or the transmitter or the receiver. The only real way to experience a full dynamic range in a, of a mic, in my opinion, is if you're running it straight into a recorder that can record 32-bit float. And this is actually a trick that I like to do quite a bit. I have a mic we're going to talk about today called a DPA4060. It's got a very high dynamic range. It sends out a very hot signal. So I can keep the noise levels really low, even in quiet whispering moments. And it's got a very loud max SPL, so it can handle very loud sounds. And a lot of times I like to run that mic, the DPA4060, straight into a Tentacle Sync Track E, which has a 32-bit float file recording option. In that specific scenario, there is no gain staging because there's no transmitter and there's no receiver. I'm going straight from the mic to a recorder. And because of that, I can utilize the 32-bit float file and the dynamic range of the mic. So if someone's whispering, I have a hot signal to keep the noise level low. And 32-bit float fo file is really clean with low levels as well. So I'm getting really nice, clean noise floor. And then if they yell, my mic has a very high max SPL rating. So I don't, like, they're probably not going to clip. And the 32-bit float file also has a very high dynamic range, so it's probably not going to clip on that either. So when I run a wide dynamic range mic like a DPA4060 into something like a Tentacle Sync Track Key directly, where there's no gain staging involved between the transmitter and receiver, I can really start to tap into a mic's dynamic range. And that can be very beneficial in certain circumstances. For example, 
I like to film some outdoor content. And one of the things I like to film is I get hired by hunting outfits to do marketing for their hunting outfit business. And if I'm filming, let's say a deer hunt, that's a very challenging situation for microphones and for audio in general, because a lot of times what's happening is people are whispering and they're talking really quietly because they're hunting, right? And in that case, a, a sensitive mic, something that's got a hot signal is great because you're allowed, you, you can, you can capture that whisper, but without having to jack your gain weight up. So you're getting a nice clean sound, even when they're whispering, if your mic has got a high sensitivity. But what happens when they, they shoot a deer and they freak out and they're all excited. Oh my gosh, I shot the deer and they get all excited and they start yelling and screaming. Well, if you're gain staging, chances are, if you're set for the whispering, you're going to blow the minute they start yelling. Right. And so it's common um, to run two different receivers for something like that, where you have one set to one level and one set to the other. But you have to remember, it can still blow on the transmitter or the receiver. So there's all kinds of complications that go into recording something like that if you don't have a sound mixer with you. So in that situation, I love to run a high dynamic range mic like a DPA 4060 that's got a very high sensitivity rating and a very high max SPL rating, because if I combine that straight with a 32-bit float tentacle sync track e-recorder, when they're whispering, I'm getting a hot signal, I'm keeping my noise level down, but as soon as they shoot an animal and they start freaking out and getting really loud and excited, I usually don't have to worry about the audio clipping because their shouting is probably not going to clip the max SPL of that particular mic, and I'm recording straight to a recorder at 32-bit float, so there's no gain staging involved. So in a situation like that, I really want a high dynamic range mic, something that's going to give me a low noise floor for when they're whispering, but it's not going to blow whenever they get really excited. And I want to pair that directly to a recorder that can handle the dynamic range. And that's what I love about 32-bit float when recording directly from a mic. If you're gain staging in that situation, running a wireless transmitter and receiver, it's a lot harder to pull off because you, something's got to give, right? If you're going to have the the noise set for like high for the whispering, they're probably going to blow when they get excited. But if you have the audio set for when they might get excited, then on all the whispering, it's going to be really noisy. So it's really hard to, to run audio in that situation unless you're like double micing someone. My, that's why my favorite way in a, uh, to film something that's really challenging like that is going straight to a 32-bit float audio recorder. But these are things to pay attention to. So you need to know what, what is the sensitivity of a mic? How clean is it going to be in quiet dialogue moments? What's the max SPL? How loud of a sound can it handle? What's the overall dynamic range? And lastly, you need to pay attention to how it's terminated what its IP rating is, if it has it, how big is the mic, etc. Because all of those things also affect the way that you hide the mic, the conditions you can use them in, etc. So those are some of the things we're going to talk about as we get into the computer, which we're going to do now. So now that you understand what SPL rating means, what dynamic range means, what sensitivity means, I feel comfortable jumping into now talking about specific lav mics. So switching over to the computer here again, if you're not following on YouTube, if you get a chance, hop onto YouTube so you can follow along. But I'll do my best to explain everything in a way to where if you're just listening to this audibly, you can still uh, tune in and, and get all the same information. So without further ado, let's start talking about the first mic on my list. And that is the Sankin Cause 11D. And this is specifically the normal sensitivity one. And we'll talk about 
that versus the reduced sensitivity here in a second. When it comes to lavalier mics, there are really two industry standards today, in my opinion. If you look at any professional sound mixer's bag, chances are they're going to have either a Senkinkaza 11D or some form of a DPA. And I say some form of a DPA because there's a wide variety of DPA mics. And we're going to talk about a few different DPAs today. But the point is, is professional sound mixers either have a Cos 11D, typically either have a Cos 11D or some form of DPA or both, usually both, in their kit. Now, I want to make this one more comment before we continue talking about this first lav mic, and that is that if you go ask any professional sound mixer what type of mic or lav mic they have in their kit, they'll usually respond and say they have a variety of lav mics. And the reason for that is some lavs are better at some things than others. For example, this mic that we're about to talk about, the Cos 11D, sounds really great on voices that are deeper, like deeper men's voices, but on higher pitch women voices, not so much. And we'll get into why that is here in a second. So some mics flatter certain voices better than others. So most sound mixers are going to have a variety of lapels in their kit to flatter different voice types. So it's important to keep that in mind that it's hard to find a one size fits all mic. Now, if there ever was a one size fits all mic, it would be a DPA, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to make that distinction as we continue talking about the Cos 11D. So the Cos 11D has been an industry standard for a long time. You'll find sound mixers that have had these in their bag for 20 plus years. And that's attributed to several things. One, they sound really good. And two, they're built like a tank. They've got a 2.1 millimeter thick cable. So they're really tough, really durable, hard to break. And they're easy to find all over the place, usually everywhere you can find them in stock So they're because they're such a common mic. So they're widely available anywhere around the world. They're tough as nails, and they sound really good. Plus, they're reasonably small. Now, the wire itself, the 2.1 millimeter wire, the cable, it is tough, but it, at 2.1 millimeters, it's also on the thicker side. So if you're wearing this mic hidden underneath a t-shirt, for example, a tighter t-shirt, there's an increased, re, uh, increased risk of seeing the actual wire from the lav mic because it is a little bit on the thicker side, the cabling is. However, that's where it gets its durability from. The mic capsule itself, though, is pretty small. It's four millimeters, which is on the small side for lav mics. Now, there are lav mics that are smaller than this, but I consider four millimeters to be pretty small, making this mic reasonably easy to hide. The, probably the most challenging aspect to hiding this mic is the cable. And I'll go ahead and say this if you don't already know this about me. I like to hide my lav mics. I think there are definitely circumstances where exposing them is fine. Um, I've got a project coming up here soon um, that I am going to be exposing mics on. It's kind of like a summit um, and it's appropriate. In fact, even encouraged in that environment because uh, it looks kind of techy. But for most commercial work, corporate work, doc work, et cetera, I don't want to see the mic. Um, you know, how many, how many times are you watching a documentary or a movie on TV where you see a mic? I want to hide my mics and most people do. So the Cos 11D's four millimeter head is pretty easy to hide. The most challenging thing about hiding this mic is the cable, but if you can make sure the cable itself, and that's only because it's a little thicker, but if you can make sure the cable's hidden, then you can hide the actual mic head pretty reasonably well. I've poked these through buttonholes before uh, on suit jackets and things, and it's been amazing because it is a relatively small head. And 
They sound amazing when under close. And the reason is, is because these mics have what's called a presence boost. And what that means is that a certain frequency range on this mic is boosted so that when the mic is under clothing, it doesn't sound muffled. You see what happens when you put a mic under clothes and you hide it, you are a lot of times cutting out certain frequencies that are getting muffled because they're getting blocked. But a mic that has a presence boost like the Cause 11D, it can punch through the clothes to capture those sounds better. This mic is arguably meant for dialogue mounted under clothes on people's chest. Of course, you can use it in other ways than just that, but that's the most common use for this mic, and that's kind of what it was designed for, to capture speech under clothes, chest mounted. And that's where it is exceptional. The downside of the presence boost is that the frequencies that are boosted in order to cut through clothing well don't pair well with higher pitched women's voices. And so what ends up happening is, is especially if you're using it um, externally, like outside of clothing, or even under just like a thin t-shirt, if you're filming a higher pitched woman, this mic, in my opinion, sounds a little harsh. And I have to spend a lot of time EQing this mic. I have Cause 11Ds. I've had, I've had mine for eight years. So if that tells you anything, they're great. They're, they're really durable. But man, when I film higher pitched women voices, I'm just, I find that the sound is a little harsh. Now you can EQ a lot of that out and take some of that presence boost out in post to make it sound better. But it's still kind of difficult. I think this mic is great under clothing. I think it's great with male voices or even normal women's voices, but higher pitch women voices, I tend to not like as much on this mic. So that's one thing to keep in note. That being said, if all you had in your kit was Cause 11Ds, I don't think you'd be upset. I think for most voices, it sounds really good. And again, it's a really tough, durable mic. I've had mine for eight years. They're, they're running great. I love them. They come with, uh, if you buy them with the accessories, which is the most common way to buy them, they come with some of the best accessories in the market, in my opinion. They have a great metal windscreen that stays on really well. And if you buy a Bubble Bee wind bubble to put over that windscreen, um, you can get great wind protection. They handle wind really well. The RM11 mount, this rubber mount right here, is great. It comes in the kit if you buy the kit. And what you do is you slip the mic head into that rubber mount, and then you can take some like top stick tape and then tape it directly to someone's chest or to their clothes. Um, and that rubber mount will protect the lob from clothes rustling noise. It doesn't protect it from everything, but it helps and goes a long way into helping with that. And then it comes with a really great alligator clip, one of the best alligator clips in the market, in my opinion. Um, and I, I, I love that combination. I think if you're going to buy it, it's definitely worth paying the extra few bucks to get it with the accessories. Um, but it's a good mic. Good mic. It's tough as nails. You can get them terminated in pretty much any mount. If you don't know what terminated means, it's just that's the actual end that goes into whatever transmitter you're using or recorder you're using. Sankin makes these mics for pretty much any any mount out there. And even if they if it's something that that they don't typically make it in, like Microdot. You can even get companies like Gotham Sound to put it into Microdot for you, or if you're good with soldering, you could do it yourself. But they're just widely available. There's tons of accessories for them. One of my favorite accessories, um, and I'll, I'll pull this up right here, for the Cause 11D is actually the Bubble Bee Lav Concealer. I've got a bunch of these. These are fantastic. You basically slip the lav into this piece of rubber, and there's this metal bar on top that helps push clothing away from the head of the mic. And 
they make this great piece of tape that you is custom fitted for it that goes in the back of the lob so you can uh, the concealer so that you can put the mic in the concealer, put a piece of double sided tape, this custom made tape on it, and then mount it straight to someone's chest, for example, or or to a, a shirt and underneath you know their shirt, and it'll hold on all day long, and that that'll that piece of metal and the lob concealer will help protect the mic head from clothes rustling noise. You can also put, it comes with a clip that you can put on it to put on shirt jackets and stuff, or like, um, excuse me, button up shirts, like to slide in between the buttons and things. So I'm a huge fan of Bubble Bee Loft Concealers. Um, I also like recently, um, a trick that I really like is you can put, they make a, called a fur outdoors, and it's this piece of fur that you can tape over the the Love Concealer. And it helps push clothing even further away from the law of concealer to even further protect from clothing rustling noise while also offering amazing wind protection. I recently filmed a mountain biking um, project where I had multiple Cause 11Ds with law of concealers uh, and the fur outdoors mounted on people's chests and they were biking all day and I had no clothing rustling noise ever and no wind noise ever. And then I used that same combination on a DPA 4060 uh, a little over a week ago for some rock climbing stuff. And again, no clothes rustling noise and no wind at all the entire day. Just an amazing combination. Pretty deadly. Bumblebee makes lav concealers for several different lavs, and one of them happens to be the Cause 11D. So when you buy a Cause 11D, you're getting a tough as nail lo- uh, nails lav that'll last a long time. It comes with some great accessories, and there's lots and lots of good accessories out there. It's got a nice presence boost to it, so it sounds great under clothes. Pairs really well with male voices, especially deeper male voices. The only real struggle is is higher-pitched women voices. It's not my favorite, and um, they are um, a little harder to hide the cable on just because the cable is a little thicker. But these are great lobs. Now, don't let this price freak you out. For those of you who are listening, the price for a terminated Cause 11D is typically going to run around $389. And I know that sounds like a lot, but remember, a lob is like a lens. You want to get a nice lob for your recorder or your transmitter, just like you want to get a nice lens. Uh, and, and there are other price options we'll talk about today. But I think that at $389, it's reasonable. If you buy it without the accessories, um, I think, let me see, I think it is... Uh, three fifty, yeah, three forty nine. Totally worth it though to get to spend the extra money, get the accessories. Um, you can also buy it unterminated with uh, which is often called pigtails, and what that means is that there's no connection at the end. It just ends, and then you can put on your own connection or pay to have your own connection put on. But unless you're going to get it, pay someone like Awesome Sales to micro dot it. I recommend buying these. Uh, in whatever termination you're going to be using and just getting it ready to go. Like if you run Sony like me, I would say just go ahead and get it for Sony and you are good to go. Um, these are also often found because there's so many of these in existence. You can find these used on B&H a lot of times uh, as well as on eBay and Facebook Marketplace. So these are really common mics. You can get good deals on them if you don't want to buy them new. I do, before we move on, want to make one note. They do make a reduced sensitivity version And what that means is that when you buy a reduced sensitivity version, it decreases the sensitivity of the mic. So it's going to be quieter and you're going to have to raise your gain levels. Like we talked about earlier, you have to raise your gain levels up to be able to hear softer spoken word, but it 
it increases the max SPL. So if you look at them on, on the uh, specs here, you can see that the max SPL for the normal version is 123 decibels, which I told you I like anything that's 120 decibels or above. So this would be above that, 123 decibels. But if you were going to film something very, very loud or someone screaming a lot, you could buy the reduced sensitivity version for the same price. This is often called the red dot version. And as you can see, it increases the max SPL by nine decibel levels. So instead of 123 decibels for the max SPL, it's now 132, which I know nine decibels doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually is a lot. So that will help give you a higher sensitivity for, or excuse me, a lower sensitivity and a higher max SPL for filming loud things. And I think that's a great way to go if you're wanting to film something that's really loud. The downside is, is that you are uh, decreasing the sensitivity on this version. So it's going to be noisier for spoken word or for softer spoken or whispering moments. But anyway, that's a, that is the um, Cause 11D. I think it's a great, great option. Uh, and if you're just looking for a solid mic to add to your kit, this is a, a really solid option. The next one we're going to talk about is a DPA 4060 core, and you heard me mention this a, a few minutes ago about how I like using these. Um, these are the newest mics I've added to my kit, and it's specifically the core version. The previous version was the just DPA 4060. They came out with the core several years ago, and what the core is, they use some kind of technology to increase the dynamic range on these mics, which already had good dynamic range, but now it's even better. But the DPA 4060 core is... Like if you were only going to buy one mic and you were willing to spend the money, it's the best mic that money can buy, in my opinion. Um, there is some other DPA options, but in general, the 4060 is like one of the best mics. If you're only going to own one type of lav, this would be the one to own. And the reason is, is because it's got an extremely high dynamic range, a very high sensitivity, so very low noise floor for soft-spoken stuff but a very high max SPL rating. In fact, if we go look at the specs here, you'll see that the maximum SPL on the DPA 4060 is 134 decibels, which is higher than the low sensitivity version of the Cause 11D. Remember, the Cause 11D has 123 decibel max SPL rating on the normal version, and on the lower sensitivity version, it's 132 decibels of max SPL. This, on the normal like on the normal sensitivity mic is 134. So on the normal sensitivity, it's got a higher max or higher max SPL than the Cos 11D has. However, making it even better is how hot of a signal it sends. Now you don't need to know what all this means, but we'll just state that this mic has a 20 MV over PA sensitivity. And if you compare that to the Cos 11D, and again, I'm not going to try to explain what all that means, but I'll just tell you this. If you go and look at the sensitivity on a Cos 11D, you'll see it's 8.9 MV over PA. So that's 8.9 versus 20. So the sensitivity, all you need to understand from that is that the sensitivity or the signal on the 4060 is more than twice as hot or twice as sensitive than a Cos 11D. So it's more than twice as sensitive while also capturing louder sounds than even the low sensitivity version of the Cos 11D. So that shows you how much dynamic range there is. And so this mic has a 106 decibels of A-weighted dynamic range, which is 
really good. I, I can't remember. See, yeah, I was going to say, I couldn't remember if Sankin posted their dynamic range, but they do. So if you compare that to the dynamic range of the Cause 11D, the Cause 11D has 95 decibels of dynamic range. So 95 decibels versus 106 decibels. So it's a lot more dynamic range on this mic than the Cause 11D. So I said this earlier that this is like one of my favorite ways to use this mic is to send it to a tentacle sync track E, which is recording 32-bit float with no gain staging because no transmitter, no receiver. So it's just the dynamic range of the mic paired with the dynamic range of 32-bit float. It's amazing. It really is. I, I mounted this up. I, I think I mentioned this a minute ago on a couple of people rock climbing a little over a week ago. And dude, it was nuts. Like using the Bubble Bee Lob Concealer, I had no wind noise. I had no clothes rustling noise. I had two... two uh, rock climbing instructors mic'd up for five hours running to uh, running to tentacle scene trackies and they are coaching they are cheering people on they're clapping they're yelling they're banging mountain climbing gear together which makes really high sounds as you can imagine really loud sounds and nothing ever clipped not ever and when they whispered or talked quietly or or making grunts and sounds when they're climbing and scaling the rocks or the, the rock wall Totally fine. No noise. I mean, this is just an incredible mic. High dynamic range, hot signal, high max SPL rating. You pair that with a track E or something similar. Man, it is game changing for stuff like that. I mean, just truly is. I love, love, love this mic. Other things about this mic is it has an IP rating of 58 which is incredible. So the Cause 11D is fairly water and dust resistant. If you used it in like some light rain and stuff, no problem. If someone sweats on the mic, no problem. If it's some dust out, no problem. But the 4060 has an IP58 rating. And to put that into perspective, when you look at IP ratings, the, the first number is the dust rating and the second number is the water rating. So in terms of dust, it's IP58, so five on the dust scale. Well, on, on the dust scale of an IP rating, six is the highest it goes. So it has a five rating for dust, which is the second highest rating a product can have for dust. Meaning you could use this out in very dusty environments, deserts. I live in Texas. So if I was out in like West Texas or something where it's really dusty, that fine dust isn't going to hurt the mic because it's got a five out of six rating on dust scale. The IP rating for water goes up to eight. So it has the highest water rating an IP rated device can have. Anything higher than that, it'd be fully submersible basically for an extent, you know, however long you want it to be. But an eight rating on this mic for, for water resistance means that this mic can be underwater for up to one meter for three hours, which is crazy good. So it's got the second highest dust rating a mic can have or a device can have and the highest water rating a mic can have. So it is, or a device can have, it, it is incredible. So at IP58, if I use this mic and I was filming, I, I do a lot of fly fishing content. I'm on the board of Trout Unlimited here in Texas. So I like to film a lot of fly fishing content for example. And if I'm filming some fly fishing content and someone falls in the water with this mic on, doesn't matter. It works just fine. No problem at all. And you might be saying, well, what about the transmitter or the recorder if you're going to a tentacle sync track E? Well, what you can do there is you, the, a trick is to take an unlubed comment, uh, condom. Gotham Sound, actually, if you're worried about like going to the store and buying <laughs> unlubed condoms and showing up to 
a project with them. You can go to Gotham Sound's website and buy some that say Gotham Sound on it so it doesn't look as bad. <laughs> but essentially, you take an unlubed condom, again, unlubed because you don't want the lubrication to get on your stuff. You get an unlubed com condom. You can slip your wireless transmitter or your tentacle sync tracky device or whatever you're using into the unlubed condom and zip tie it to the mic wire. And that will water protect it really, really, really well. And if you want to take it a step further, Aquapack makes um, water resistant, like IP rated water pouches for wireless transmitters. And it actually has like a little hole that the wire can go through. My favorite thing to do is to take an unlooped condom, put the transmitter recorder in the unlooped condom, zip tie it up against the wire, and then stick that in an Aquapack. So you're like double waterproofing it. And then that way, if someone fell in the water, if I was filming fishing content and someone fell in the water, my transmitter or recorder is probably not going to get damaged at all. And if I'm using this mic with an IP58 rating, it's not going to get damaged either. In fact, you could take this mic and dip it in water to get underwater sounds if you wanted, and it wouldn't hurt the mic. So it's an incredible mic with its IP rating. So when you combine like the crazy high dynamic range, the low noise floor thanks to hot signal, the high max SPL rating and the IP58 rating, it makes it one of the best mics for filming like adventure content, hunting, fishing, hiking, climbing, biking, you name it. It's amazing for stuff like that. It also comes with different frequency boost caps. And this is something I love about this mic. So I said earlier that the Cause 11D has a presence boost that makes it great for capturing dialogue under clothing, like when mounted under clothing, because it doesn't get that muffled sound. Well, the DPA 4060, if you take, if you take a look at like what, what I'm looking at online, what you're seeing is it with a soft boost grid cap on. It's actually not a windscreen. It's actually a soft boost cap. If you take that off, the mic will have a fairly flat response, which is great when you're mounting outside of clothes, or if you're filming something like a woman with a higher pitched voice. This mic will handle that way better than a Cause 11D will because it'll give you a more flat response and then you can EQ to taste and post. But if you are gonna put it under clothes, you could put on the soft boost grid, which is what is on my screen right now. And the soft boost grid boosts the frequencies in that range, the range that you want to boost it in for putting under clothes by three decibels, making it cut through some light clothing fairly well. And then if you're gonna put it under heavy clothing, like a big zipped up puff jacket, you can use the plus 10 boost grid or high boost grid, which uh, adds a plus 10 decibel curve to the frequencies, boosts those frequencies by 10 decibels to make it really punch through thick clothing like a big thick jacket. When I was in Pakistan in like 2016 or 17, I think it was 2017, uh, we were up in the Himalaya mountains. It was zero degrees out, very cold. We're at like 13 plus thousand feet. And the person I was filming put on a really thick jacket because obviously it was really cold. He had multiple layers of clothes on. And when he put his final jacket on him, he was just like really thick puff jacket. And it completely muffled the sound on the on my lav mic. I mean, man, when he spoke, it was hard to hear, even with EQing in post. Well, with the heavy or, or the high boost cap that this comes with, in that situation, I would have cut through that jacket really, really well. Again, making this one of the best choices, I think, for filming any sort of adventure content where people, you might you might have someone, you might mount it externally and don't want any presence boost at all. But then if you want to put it on light clothes, you can put it on the soft bit grid or heavy clothes, put it on the high boost grid. And it just allows you to alter the frequency response of the mic 
to make it work in a wide range of situations. That's why I feel like if you're only going to buy one mic, this is kind of like the Swiss Army knife of lav mics. I mean, it's water and dust resistance with IP58 rating, crazy high dynamic range, crazy hot signal with a nice noise, low noise floor, can capture really loud sounds thanks to the max SPL rating. And you can alter the frequency response to have flat, boosted, or highly boosted to tailor to different voice types or to different situations for mounting externally or under different types of layers of clothing. It truly is an incredibly versatile mic. And to top it all off, the sound quality in this mic is out of this planet. This mic, just to put it in perspective, was used on Game of Thrones a lot when they weren't able to boom or they had to cut from the boom to lapel in, in tricky situations where booming was challenging because it's so good. It's an incredible mic. And that's why I say like when you look at the industry standard lapel mics, you're typically going to find in a sound mixer's kit some Cos 11s and some DPAs because the DPAs are freaking amazing. And so I, I think it's got one of the best sounds. And most people say you have one of the most incredibly rich sounds that you can get, get that money can buy in the market for a lapel microphone with all the different characteristics of the IP ratings, the different frequency response caps, dynamic range, et cetera, that make it such a versatile mic. In addition to that, it comes in an option for microdot. Now, COS11s by Sankin do not come in a microdot option. If you want to get them in a microdot, you have to either do it yourself or pay someone to do it. I recently did this. I sent my COS11Ds off to Gotham Sound in New York, and I paid them to convert them to microdot. And the reason why is microdot allows you to use the mic on different systems by just simply buying different microdot adapters. If you look at my computer screen, I'll kind of show you what that means. When you buy microdot, and I wish they showed a picture here. Let me see if I can find us a picture. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Maybe under accessories. I'm trying to find a picture of like what the microdot actually looks like. I'm not sure if we'll find it here, but either way, I'll, I'll show you what an actual microdot adapter looks like. So when you buy a microdot adapter, what you're buying is essentially the end that would go into your recorder or your transmitter. In this case, the one I have pulled up on the computer screen is the Sony one. So for my Sony transmitters, this is the microdot adapter I have. So on one end, you've got the Sony 3.5 millimeter locking terminated mount. And on the other end, you have a screw threaded uh, hole for microdot. So the way microdot works is, is you buy a, a lav that has basically a, a, a thread on the end of it, and you thread it on the adapter that you need for your transmitter or recorder. And here's it actually, if you will look down here, here um, on the website, here is a microdot, this is a good picture of one. Um, this is an extension cable that you can actually get for your lobs if you wanna hardwire them. But yeah, if you look right here, and again, if you're not watching this online, uh, if you go to YouTube and watch this online, you'll see what I'm pointing at. But um, what you'll see is that this, the end of this, cable, this is actually what a microdot looks like. You have this, this thread, it's got a little pen in the center, and then it's got these threads, and you screw that onto the end of a microdot adapter, and then the adapter itself goes into whatever device that you're using uh, is in. And this is why this is important. Different systems take a different termination in order for you to, to run a, a headset mic or a lav mic into that particular recorder or transmitter. Good example of this, Sony and Sennheiser both make wireless transmitters. They're both 3.5 millimeter locking connections. However, 
they are not cross-compatible. And that is because the polarity on Sony is the reverse of the polarity on Sennheiser. So while the actual physical plug of a Sony-mounted lav will fit a Sennheiser transmitter or a Sennheiser lav will fit a Sony transmitter, they are not compatible despite the fact that they physically fit because the polarity is reversed. So if you want to use a Sony lav on a Sennheiser transmitter or vice versa, you either have to cut the connection off and resolder on another one, or you have to buy some sort of an adapter. And there are companies that make some cheap adapters that allow you to convert from one to the other, but they're risky. Something can happen because you're adding a, 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 another connection in between the lob and the transmitter. And I don't really recommend that. I have done that before to be able to run my Cause 11Ds on my Sennheiser mounted uh, tentacle sync trackies because the trackies are a Sennheiser mount, whereas my Sony transmitters are Sony mount. And so the only way to use my Cause 11s that are mounted for Sony on my trackies was that was an adapter. And it worked, but it always freaked me out because you have this like middle thing that's in between your lob and your recorder and or, or transmitter. And there's just a lot of risk of something going wrong there. Whereas with the Microdot, it's, it's specifically designed for that. You can buy the correct adapter for your device and then the other end has a microdot on it. So you can have one lob that you can use on any system. And they make microdot adapters for XLR going straight into a quarter, uh, Sony mount, Sennheiser mount, Shure mount, the different electrosonics amounts, etc. So you can get microdot adapters for pretty much any professional um, wireless system out there. And they'll even work on things like, let's say you wanted to use Rode Wireless Go. And again, I, I consider that to be a pretty consumer product, but if you wanted to use that, but have a nice uh, lapel, you can you can get a uh, 3.5 to Sennheiser 3.5 mounted um, microdot and run it straight to that. So microdot is an awesome option for being able to use your lobs on a wide range of products, having just one lob for all your systems. Um, and, and if you only have one system, like if, if all you run is electrosonics or Sennheiser or Sony, and you have no intentions of having anything else, then go ahead and get the law of terminated and, and whatever mount you have. But if you have to hop between systems like I do, I use my trackies about as much as I use my wireless transmitters. I use them all the time. And so for me, I wanted my laws to be able to be compatible on both systems. So Microdot was the best option to get that in the Sankins in Microdot. Again, I had to pay Gotham Sound to do it. But um, DPA mics actually come out of the box as an option already in Microdot. So that's something I really like about it. Some other things to note about the DPA mic is that the 4060 has a very thin cable. Now the Cause 11D is a 2.1 millimeter cable, so it's pretty thick. It's durable, but it's, as I said earlier, a little harder, harder to hide under like tight-fitting shirts, for example. The DPA 4060 has more like a 1.5, 1.6 millimeter cable, so it's a lot thinner. Um, and if you hold the two side by side, you'll see it's actually a really big difference. So it is a lot easier to hide under tight shirts or clothes because the cable is less likely to be seen. Downside is it doesn't make it as durable as a Cause 11, but if you're you know careful and you pull mics off your talent, you don't let them just like wrap the cable really tight around transmitters or rip their you know. Uh, mics off and things like that. If you're careful with them, then it's not really a problem. They are Kevlar. They've got Kevlar in them, so they are pretty tough, but they're not going to be sinking tough. But that does also make them a little easier to hide. So that's something else to note. Uh, Bubble Bee does make lav concealers for them, which I'm a huge fan of that. I don't, I don't really buy mics today that I can't get Bubble Bee lav concealers for. I'm just such a big believer in Bubble Bee products. Um, 
so yeah, no, that's basically all you need to know about this mic. Now, for those of you who are listening to this and haven't seen the price, I'll go ahead and tell you it's very expensive. It is $510 just for the mic. And if you get it in a specific termination, it's going to push it over $600. If you buy it in MicroDot, it is $510, which is what I did. But then you have to buy the MicroDot adapter. Now, in my case, the MicroDot to Sony adapter was $105, which makes this mic, by the time you add the adapter to the mic, that makes it $500, or excuse me, $615 by the time you add the two together. Plus, I wanted to have a MicroDot adapter for my Track E, so I had to buy another adapter for the Track E's. DPA does make a Track E, or uh, excuse me, a Sennheiser adapter, but so does Tentacle Sync. Um, so I actually bought a Tentacle branded one for like 40 bucks. But still, if you do the math, $40 for the Tentacle MicroDot adapter, $105 for the DPA to Sony MicroDot adapter. That's, you know, what is that, uh, $145 plus the $510 mic. <laughs> you know, it is, uh, I mean, that makes it 600 and what, $655 to be able to get one of these lobs and the adapters to run them on Sony and Sennheiser. So for each one of these, I had to pay that much. So they're very expensive. But if you're only going to buy one lav, like that's the lav to buy, in my opinion, because I think they are just absolutely incredible. They don't really have very many downsides. So yes, they are very expensive. But if you buy them in the MicroDot, you can use them. As long as you take care of them, you can use them for years and years and years and years and um, use them on a wide range of systems, um, even if you upgrade systems in the future and and thanks to the MicroDot. And... Uh, they're just amazing. Yeah. So that is the DPA um, 6060, or excuse me, 4060. Now I do want to talk about the DPA 6060. And so the DPA 6060 is similar to the 4060. In fact, the 6060 has basically the same dynamic range. It has the same sensitivity and the same max SPL rating as the 4060. However, the 6060 is much smaller. It has the same cable, so 1.5 millimeters or whatever that is, 1.6 millimeters, but the mic head is three millimeters. The mic head on the 4060 is 5.4 millimeters. Now, if you remember me saying this earlier, the Cos 11D's mic head is four millimeters. So the Cos 11D is kind of in the middle. It's, it's reasonably small at four millimeters. I consider that to be pretty small, pretty easy to hide. But the 6060 is even smaller. It's uh, it's a quarter of the size smaller, and three millimeters is tiny. So the mic head paired with the really thin cable makes this an extremely easy to hide microphone. And if you want to poke it through a buttonhole or poke it out of the corner of like a collar or hide it in someone's hair or sneak a wire over someone's ear and and, and tape it to tape them the mic to their reading glasses. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with a, a mic this small. So the 6060 is very similar to the 4060. It's just a smaller version. Now I have read reports that these break easier than the 4060s because they are smaller on the mic head. But I've also heard conflicting reports where people say that they're just as tough. I think as long as you treat your equipment pretty good and you you mic people up and take the mics back off of them, you're not going to have any problems. But either way, you get pretty much all the benefits of the 4060, the IP rating, um, the dynamic range, the max SPL rating, the sensitivity, all those benefits, the microdot ability, you can get them a microdot, et cetera, just with a smaller mic head, making them easier to hide. Um, so these are great to have in your kit. I actually currently don't own any, but I'm about to buy some. So I'm going to get a few of these. 
Um, I might replace my Cause 11Ds with these actually. I like my Cause 11Ds a lot, but I, I'll be honest, I like my DPA 4060s more. I think with the dynamic range and the IP rating and all that, the fact that they've got a flat frequent uh, flat response for like higher pitched women's voices, et cetera, I think they're a better mic. So that's why they're that's why they're more expensive. I really like my two or my uh, I have four 4060s. I like my four 4060s a ton, and I'm using them a lot. So I'm kind of thinking about selling my Cause 11Ds to pick up some 6060s because. They give me all the same benefits of my 4060s, just in a smaller package, making them really great for, again, hiding under clothes and things. Um, so I'm I'm wanting to add some of these to my kit, um, and they're they're really really cool mics. The really the only differences between this mic and the 4060, despite the smaller size, is that there's no frequency caps for it. It comes with a um, basically a, a built-in. Uh, 3 dB soft boost grid, but you can't have a plus 10 dB uh, boost the way that you can on the 4060. So the 4060 is still more versatile. So if you're going to hide it under like thicker jackets and stuff where you can put that plus 10 dB grid on, which is really useful, I, I think that that makes the 4060 still a little bit more versatile than this mic. But even though it doesn't come with a different frequency boost caps, it's still a great sounding mic, still sounds good buried under clothes, still sounds good externally, easy to hide. Um, it's just a smaller mic that just doesn't have the ability to change the frequency caps. That's pretty much the only thing about it. Um, that that That's really that different, the size and the lack of frequency boosting caps. Um, I think if you're, you know, you might ask the question like, why own both? Like, why am I going to have 4060s and 6060s? Well, I think the 4060s, again, I've read reports that they're a little tougher. So for me, as an everyday lav, I would rather have a little bit tougher mic. Um, and the 4060, again, has the different frequency boost caps. So I think having some 4060s in your kit for filming like outdoor stuff, biking, rock climbing, et cetera, where people might be wearing a t-shirt one day, but then in the winter months might have a big thick jacket on. I think having the flexibility of altering the frequency response in the 4060 makes them great to have in your kit. But I also think the 6060s are great to have in your kit for hiding and tricky to hide in wardrobes. So I think having both is a great option and a lot of sound mixers will own both for that reason. So my plan is probably going to be to sell the Cause 11Ds and pick up some 6060s because of that. But these are really great mics. Again, Bubblebee makes a lot of products for them. They're even smaller than the products for the 4060 to Cause 11D because the mic's smaller. Um, so just a great overall mic. Really, really, really cool option. Now, before we move on from DPA, I do want to make a comment that there are different options for DPA mics in terms of the sensitivities. Um, earlier, I'm going to hop back over to the 4060 because I can change the, well, I guess I'll have to actually just type it in. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you, and for those of you that are watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this, but the DPA 4061 and the 6061 is going to be the same thing. The 6061 and the, and, the, and the 4061 are identical mics, again, just different sizes, and one has frequency boost caps and the other does not. But when you compare the 61 versus the 60, I'm just going to compare them so you can see. The 61 has a max SPL rating of 144 decibels, whereas the 60 series has a max SPL rating of 134 decibels. So kind of like the Cause 11D, you can buy a lower sensitivity version and get an additional headroom of max SPL, in this case, 10 decibels. So you can get 
louder sounds on the 6061 than the 6060. Same is true with the 4061 versus 4060. So if you're going to be recording really loud things, you might want to check out the 61 series versus the 60 series. But again, at the cost of a little bit higher noise floor because it's not going to be as sensitive. But here's what I want to show you. This is what's interesting. If you look at the 61, the sensitivity is 6 MV over PA, okay? The 60, the sensitivity is 20 MV over PA. So way, way hotter signal on the 60 versus 61. But if you compare the 61 to a cos 11D, the cos 11D sensitivity is 8.9 MV over PA. So honestly, the 61, which is 6 MV over PA, is not much quieter than a normal sensitivity rating on a cos 11D that has 8.9 MV PA. So if you're someone who's looking at these different options, if you go with a 61, the sensitivity is not all that much quieter than a cos 11D, but it's got a way higher max SPL rating of 144. So the 61 option is pretty good as an all-around mic if you want to crazy high max SPL and still have a pretty good clean noise for. Personally, I went with a 60 series because sometimes I am filming whispering and stuff and I do want to have a hottest signal for stuff like that. And 134 decibels is still really, really high. So for pretty much anything I'm going to do, it's plenty high enough. But if you're consistently filming really loud sounds, then going with a 61 version might be better. They're very common for like theater where people are going to be constantly talking at extremely high levels or singing and things like that. Um, but they're also great for mounting on cars to get tailpipe exhaust sounds. They even make a 62 series, which is even more sensitive with an even higher or less sensitivity, less sensitive with an even higher dynamic range, a higher max SPL rating. I mean, um, and those are really cool, but for most of us will never need anything like that. The 61s and 62s are actually great for musical instruments, but you could even use the, um, 60s for that, but people will literally take these mics and put them inside guitars and get the sounds of guitars and things. Pretty amazing. But these are incredible mics, the DPAs are. I think uh, if you're going to buy, if you're going to buy one type of mic, the DPA is, is the one to go with. Uh, and, and if you, if you want it to be really small, go with a 6060, but if you don't mind it being a little bigger and you want the frequency boost caps, go with a 4060. And again, if you're going to be filming really high or loud sounds, a lot of the times, go ahead and get the 61s. If you're not, if you're more like me, we're going to be filming more normal dialogue, some occasional loud stuff, but also some quiet stuff. I, I say get the 60 series. Um, and then they also make a 63 series. So this is something else that you need to know. Mics require different voltage, different voltages in order to be able to, uh, to be used correctly. So if you have ever used like a boom mic or like a shotgun mic, you're probably used to having to send a 12 volt phantom power signal out to power the mic. Well, lav mics are no different. They, they require certain voltages to work. Well, one thing to note is that the DPA mics, if you look at the voltage range, they require five to 10 volts of power in order to work. The cos 11D does not require that. It requires three to 10 volts. That's actually really important to note because some transmitters cannot give you five volts of power. Some of them, like the older electrosonics, can only do three volts. So if you want to run a DPA mic and your system can only output three volts, then you're never going to get the full potential of the mic because you're not giving it the full amount of power needed to work properly. So that's something to pay attention to. In fact, one of the mics that we're going to mention today, the MKE2, it requires 
7.5 volts. Well, my Sony UWP transmitters can only output five. Now, that means that the DPA mics work great on my Sony transmitters, but the MKE2 Gold would not because my transmitters aren't outputting seven and a half volts, and most aren't. So that's something else to pay attention to when you buy a lav mic. So you should try to figure out what your output voltage is. And I'll tell you that like from what I gather, the like tentacle sync trackies and the Sony UWP series transmitters I have, they output five volts, but I I think I read where the Rode Wireless Goes can only output like two and a half to three volts or something like that, meaning that they may not be the best option if you're going to run something like a DPA mic. You're probably better off with something like a Cos 11D, which doesn't require as much power to run. So that is something else that you should pay attention to. Anyway, I want to move on from the DPAs. Next thing we're going to move on to is the new Shure Twinplex. I say new because they're only a few years old, but they're still relatively new compared to like the rest of the lavs that we're talking about. But Sure has basically two lav mics that came out with in the Twinplex line, uh, the TL-47 and TL-48. Um, I personally have no experience with these lavs, but I know people who have, and you can get these in a variety of amounts, including Microdot, which you know how I feel about Microdot. I'm a big fan. Uh, but the Sure Twinplex mics are really good, rich sounding mics. They have a high dynamic range and a high max SPL. In fact, if we look at the Twin uh, Plex TL48, the normal sensitivity mic has a max SPL of 142 decibels. So it can handle very loud sounds. Um, and similarly, if we look at the um, 6060, I'll try to pull them up side by side here. The 6060, remember, it's got 134 decibels. So the Sure Twinplex can actually handle, on the normal sensitivity mic, can handle louder sounds than the DPA 6060. And if you look at the dynamic range on the 6060, or I, I'll look at the dynamic range on the 4060, actually. I think it's a better one. Let me pull that up here. Man, we got a lot of mics pulled up. So if you look at the dynamic range on the DPA 4060, the dynamic range is... 106 decibels A-weighted, whereas the dynamic range on the TL-48 is 117, or yeah, 117.5 decibels. So the dynamic range in the Shure mics is really good with a very high max SPL rating. And from what I've heard online, these are really good sounding microphones. Um, the TL-47 is uh, another option as well. Um, it has a very similar dynamic range and max SPL rating. Uh, Basically, which one you want to get just kind of depends on what you're doing. Um, you can alter from what I gather. And again, I, I personally don't have experience with these mics, but I, I know people who have. And you can alter the response on these by having different fre frequency boost caps if you go with the uh, for TL-47, kind of like you can on the DPAs. So you have different, you can boost or the frequencies or get a flatter response just like you can on the DPAs. That's on the TL-47. The TL-48 does not have that capability. Um, so you, you it doesn't come with different frequency boost caps, but it is uh, a little bit smaller mic. Both of them have a very thin cable that is very, 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 very durable. One of the most durable cables on the market. Why would you buy a Shure over the DPA? Well, it just depends on what you like better sound-wise. The, the Shure does have a higher dynamic range, can capture louder sounds, um, and um, can be all, if you go with a 47, you can alter the frequency boost caps. So if you are looking for maximum dynamic range, 
that might be a great option. The downside though is that the Shures aren't as popular, so there's not as many accessories for them available today. Also, they are not IP rated. So if you are wanting an IP rated mic like the DPAs, which is really important to me, um, the Shures are not the best bet for you. So they're great mics, they have a very high dynamic range, can handle really loud sounds, more so than a standard sensitivity 6060 or 4060. Um, they could be in bot and microdot. They got nice, tough cables. The 47 um, series can you can change the frequency caps on, but again, they're not IP rated. And to me, that's the biggest downside. Um, they there are accessories out there for them, like Bubble Bee does make accessories for them, but there's just not as many accessories, and that's really just because they're brand new. Uh, brand new meaning that they've only been out a few years, which for a lob mic is pretty new. Um, but they're, you know, they're nice mics and I've heard a lot of people really, really, really like them. I just would rather have the DPAs that are water resistant and the DPAs are way more of an industry standard than a Shure Twin Plex is. And I like working with kind of more industry standard mics, but the biggest selling point on the DPAs versus these is the IP rating. Uh, and that's the main reason why I went with them over the Shure uh, mics. And just for those of you, again, listening who are not watching, the price on the Shure Twinplex is $449 uh, on, on each of them. So whether you go with the TL47, which is the small, uh, which is the one that you can alter the frequency caps on, or the TL48, both of them are $449. Now, Shure does make one IP rated mic, and that is the DL4 Duraplex mic. And this is a um, IP rated, I think it's, yeah, here it is, IP57. So the second highest dust rating and the second highest water rating. Now remember, DPAs are IP58. So these are a little less water resistant, but have the same dust resistance as the DPAs. Um, but they are also much cheaper. They're $299, which compared to a DPA is quite a bit cheaper. Now, the big downside of this mic to me and, and I actually considered this when I was shopping for water resistant mics. But the big thing to me is one, if you look, if you're looking online, the, the shape of this mic is kind of awkward. And as a result, there's really not hardly any aftermarket accessories for it. So like the Bubble Bee Lav concealers that I like to use, they don't make a lav concealer for these mics. So there's just not tons of options. Now it does come with some basic accessories, including Shure's own version of a concealer but it's not the same type of product as a Bubble Bee Lav Concealer, and it just doesn't come with the accessories, and there's no frequency response caps, and this is another big problem to me. It only comes with two connector options, a three-pin Limo or a TA4F. Basically, these are made to work with Shure devices, and I don't run Shure devices. I run Sony or I run uh, Tentacle Sync Trackies, so for me personally, these won't work with my equipment. So if I were gonna use these mics, I'd have to buy them send them to a company like Gotham Sound, have them cut the terminated end off and put on microdot, which costs about $65 per mic. So I would be taking a $300 mic and making it $365. In fact, after shipping, it'd be more than that. It'd be more like probably like $375 a mic. And at that point, you're still cheaper than a DPA, but you have a 57 versus 58 rating. You can't change the frequency responses and there's hardly any accessories for it. So is it a bad option? No, I've heard people really like it, but it's just not as widely acceptable or accessorized as some of the other options we've talked about and more difficult to get it in microdot or if you just want it in a, you know, a, a more normal mount like a Sennheiser or Sony Electro or whatever, there's just not as many options available. So you probably just have to buy the mic and then pay someone to terminate it to something different. That's why I didn't go with that mic. 
The next one is a Tram TR50. Now, this has a rich history. Tram TR50s have been around a long time. These are actually really good sounding mics, especially on male voices, uh, and, and male voices have a deeper voice. These are really nice mics, and they're very affordable compared to you know some of the other options we talked about. Um, you can get these for $254 in whatever termination you want, and they come with a lot of accessories, alligator clips, um, vampire clips, windscreens, etc. Really cool mics. Oh, I forgot to mention this. The DPAs don't come with any accessories. None. So not only are they the most expensive mics, but they don't come with anything. So if you want to get anything for them, <laughs> windscreens, alligator clips, you name it, they're all extra. So the DPA product is very expensive. It's still the best mic, in my opinion. If you're just going to have one type, go with 4060 or 6060. I still believe that, but man, they're expensive and they don't come with accessories. Tram TR50, by contrast, comes with a ton of accessories. It's got windscreens, alligator clips, vampire clips, etc., and you can get them in pretty much any termination that you want. The one I have pulled up right now is for locking Sennheiser connector, but you can get them for pretty much anything out there. These are good sounding mics, and if you look, they've got 134 decibel uh, SPL rating, so pretty high uh, max SPL rating. They can handle really loud sounds. Um, the downside of these mics is that these are side addressed mics. And what that means is, and if you're looking online, you'll be able to see this, but the actual cap on this mic is flat. And there's a couple other mics we're gonna look at today that have a side address style like this. But if you actually look at the mic, the mic is on the side. You know, the other mics like the Cause 11D, let me pull that back up here. You can see the mic head, like the, like the actual mic is on the top of the loft. Most mics, like most laws, the actual mic is on the top. That's called top addressed. But on the Tram TR50, the mic is actually on the side of the mic capsule, not on the top. And that makes it a side addressed mic. The upside of that is it gives it a thin profile. So if you're going to mount this in between like a button up, if you have like a button up shirt and you wanted to mount it like in the crease in between the buttons uh, of like the bottom layer of the button up and the top layer, it sandwiches in there really nicely. But it's way more susceptible to clothes rustling noise. And there's not near as many accessories for side address mics in the market. I personally don't like side address mics because I think they're incredibly hard to hide without getting clothes rustling noise because of the way the mic is facing the clothes. Or if you have it on the clothes, it's facing the chest. So I personally don't like side address mics. I like top address mics. And that alone is why I wouldn't ever buy a, T, uh, a Tram TR50. That being said, they have a rich history. They're good sounding mics and they have a really cool vampire clip. So if you can avoid the clothes rustling noise, they sound really nice. And for $254 and, and with all the accessories they come with and the, the different terminations you can get them in, they're great options, but they're just hard to hide under clothes without getting clothes rustling noise. But they sound great, especially on male voices. Voice Technologies is another good brand. This is a, a brand, I think they're in like Sweden or Switzerland, something like that. And... They make a pretty nice mic that has a really nice voice. Um, and they actually make some waterproof versions. So they this is the VT500, but they have a 500W, which stands for water, a WA, which stands for water adventure, which means it has an IP rating and a tougher cable. And then they have a VT500X, which has an IP rating and their toughest cable. So if you're interested in another option for water-resistant mics, Voice Technology has the W, the WA, and the X versions, um, which are all waterproof to some, to some extent. 
The X version, which is the most water resistant one they make, has a IP, uh, IP rating and, uh, of eight for water. So it has the same water resistance as a, uh, as a DPA, which remember DPA has a IP58 rating. So the rating for water is eight. The VT500X, which I'll pull that up right here, again, also has an eight uh, IPX8 rating. So it's going to be just as water resistant as the DPA mics. In fact, there's a picture of it in water right there. But the downside is once again, they are side address mics like the Tram TR50. So they don't sound as good under clothing because um, they pick up more clothes rustling noise. Also, if you go with the extreme version, which is the VT500X, that is their most water resistant one with their toughest cable. But they are, they don't have near the dynamic range. Like if you look at the max SPL rating, it's 118 decibels. And I actually spoke to Voice Technologies when I was shopping for water resistant mics. And they said that this particular mic, the 500X, requires a very hot signal to sound good. So it's got a very, very low sensitivity. So this is a just not a great option if you're going to have any normal talking or whispering or quiet moments because you have to have your gain set really high. So this is going to be more susceptible to noise and it can't handle as loud a sounds at 118 decibels. Um, very water resistant, but I just think the lack of dynamic range plus the fact that it's side rejected or excuse me, um, side addressed is why I'm not really interested in this mic. But they have been used on some pretty popular shows. Like uh, I know um, Gold Rush Alaska or one of the Gold Rush shows that's out there. I actually talked to their sound mixer and he used these. In fact, they would sew these into um, wetsuits when people would dive underwater to dig for gold. Um, so they're really water resistance, resistant, but so are the DPAs. And the DPAs have a way higher dynamic range and a way lower noise floor. And these are $389 for the same price as a cause 11D, and that is if you buy it unterminated. If you buy it terminated, it jacks the price much higher. And if you want to get them in Microdot, like I like, you'd have to send them to a company like Gotham Sound, pay another 60 or $75 to get it done. So by the time you buy this mic and have it terminated, you might as well just buy the DPA and have the same water resistance, but in a top address mic that has a way higher dynamic range. So that's why I didn't get these mics. But the VT500s are pretty common. Um, and the, uh, the VT500 itself, the non-water resistant version is only $293. It's a good sounding mic. Um, but again, side, side address, which I don't like. Next up is a Countryman B6. If you've been around audio at all, you've probably heard of this mic. It's a $294 mic. If you get it terminated, um, it comes with a whole host of accessories and it like the DPA has different presence boost caps. You can have a flat response. Uh, boosted or heavily boosted response, just like the DPAs. So that's great. Really reasonably priced mic. What makes this mic so special is its size. If you look at the picture online and says actual size, you can see how small it is in someone's hand. This is a two and a half millimeter mic capsule. Very, very, very small. The most common use for this mic is for hiding through buttonholes or in hair, like people hide it in hair, um, and, and just really places where you want the mic to be exposed but well hidden. Um, so these are really tiny mics, just great for hiding into stuff. That being said, this wouldn't be the first mic you'd grab for sound. It sounds very thin and just, I don't know, it's just not a very rich sounding mic, and most sound mixers will tell you that. It sounds okay, 
it's just compared to some of the other options is you don't buy this for the sound quality. You buy it because it's tiny. And I think at this point, DPA has a better product in the 6060 because it's three millimeters. This is two and a half millimeters. So the 6060 is not much bigger, but has a way higher dynamic range and sounds way better. So I think if you're, if you're trying to buy a small mic, you're better off to get the 6060. It's a better product. It's going to sound dramatically better and it's not much bigger. But if you're wanting to save money and get a tiny little mic, it's not a bad mic to have, have in your kit. And there are a lot of sound mixers out there that'll have this mic in their kit just for its size. Um, it's got a long re reputation in the audio video world because of its size. Uh, I just think today there are better options that sound better. But for the price, it's pretty good. Um, if you look at the dynamic range and stuff on it, it's got a max SPPL of 120 decibels, which again, I consider to be like the minimum of what I would want in a lav mic. Um, and the sensitivity is pretty high. It's 16 uh, MV over PA, so not quite as sensitive as the 4060, but up there. much. It's like twice the sensitivity almost of a Cos 11D, so nice hot signal. It just can't handle the same loudness. So it's got a smaller dynamic range, and again, sounds kind of thin in my opinion. But if you're looking for something really tiny uh, and you don't want to pay the 60 DPA 6060 price, it's a decent option. And Countryman B3 is uh, a pretty decent mic as well. I think the sound is kind of muddy on this mic, personally. Like, it's, it wouldn't be my number one choice for audio either, but it's certainly going to be better than any stock lav. So if you're looking for uh, an affordable mic that sounds better than any of your stock mic mics, this is not a bad option. In a terminated mount, like if you get it terminated, it's $195.99, um, $196. But basically, for a couple hundred dollars, you can get this mic. It comes with accessories like a case and alligator clips and stuff. Um, and it sounds better than the stock lob. Now, is it the best sounding mic of the bunch? No, but it's not bad. And it's certainly better than a stock lob. What is really nice about this lob is it has an IP67 rating. In fact, the Countryman B6 that we looked at a second ago also has an IP67 rating. Um, it's harder to find that. You have to actually go to Sennheiser's website to read about it. But both mics have an IP67 rating. Uh, and what's great about that is it has the highest dust rating, six, which is higher than the DPA, which has a dust rating of five and has the second highest water rating seven. So it's kind of like the opposite of the DPA, which has the second highest dust rating, but the highest water rating. This is the highest dust rating and the second highest water rating. So kind of similar to the DPA, just slightly different, but very, very, very water and dust um, uh, resistant. And these are good mics uh, in terms of if you're looking for something that you can throw on people and use and abuse in rough situations where you don't want to put a $500 lapel mic, these are great for that. A good example is Survivor. I don't know if they do this anymore, but Survivor used to use these mics. They had like 40 of them uh, on set at a time and they would hide these like, remember those buffs that they used to wear on Survivor? They would hide these in the buffs and things so that audience wouldn't see them as much. And these mics would handle, I remember these guys are on the beach, they're in the sand, they're going in the ocean, they're doing competitions in the water, the sand and the ocean, and these mics, they handle that just fine. So these with the IP67 rating work great in Survivor. And my thought is, if it works for Survivor, it'll work good for you probably. <laughs> and it was a nationally televised award-winning show. And so if you're looking for a tough mic that can handle water, that is really well priced at $200. This is a great option. Um, it's tough and durable and it's reasonably small. It's got a, like a four and a half millimeter, 4.6 millimeter uh, mic capsule and a relatively thin cable. So pretty easy to hide. And again, tough and water and dust resistant. It's just not gonna have the same sound as something like a DPA, but it's still gonna be much better in your stock lobs. If you look at like the dynamic range and stuff, 
Uh, on the sensitivity, it's got a 12 MV over PA, so it's going to be more sensitive than a cause 11D, but again, not as sensitive as uh, a, a TPA 40, 60, 60, 60, or even the Countryman B6, but still pretty sensitive. Um, and the max dynamic range really just depends on whether you get the normal or the um, low sensitivity version, but it, it can it's pretty high. I can't remember, and, and B&H makes it kind of hard to find that number on here uh, for whatever reason. But I, I, I can't remember exactly what the number is, but it's a much higher SPL than some of the other mics we talked about. So it can handle loud sounds while being reasonably uh, sensitive. So pretty good dynamic range on this mic. Um, just sounds a little muddy to me, but if you're looking for something better in a stock mic that um, is tough and water resistant, this is a great option. Oh, and it does come with um, frequency boost uh, capsules, just like the DPAs in Countryman B6 does. Next is the DDW Lav Pro. Now, this is an interesting mic. This mic costs 100 bucks, and that's to get it microdotted or in a microdot. So what makes this mic interesting is, first off, it's got an IP57 rating. So it can handle quite a bit of dust and water. In fact, I have a picture of it right here in a cup of water. So with the IP57 rating, it's pretty dust and water resistant. And at $100, that's pretty awesome that to be able to get a water and dust resistant mic. It also has a four millimeter mic capsule and a very thin cable. So pretty easy to hide. The mic capsule is the same diameter as a Cos 11D, but with a thinner wire. One cool thing about it having the same diameter as a Cos 11D is this mic, the DDW Lab Pro, actually works with all of the Cos 11D accessories. So the Cos 11D's amazing um, alligator clip which DPA has a good alligator clip too. I think DPA and the Cause 11Ds have the best alligator clips. But um, the Cause 11Ds got a great alligator clip and, and the WLAP Pro can work with its alligator clip. It can work with its metal windscreen. It can work with the RMW, uh, RM11 mount. It, basically, even the Bubble Bee Lav Concealer is made for um, the uh, Cause 11D works with them. Now, there is a actual... Bubble Bee Lav Concealer for the WLAV Pro. But what I see a lot of people doing is they'll own Cos 11Ds as their main workhorse mics, and then they'll buy the WLAV Pro as what they call like a danger mic. So if they are filming normal, like commercial, corporate work, dock work, et cetera, they'll use their Cos 11Ds. But when they find themselves in a situation where they need to film something where the mic potentially could get torn up, whether it's because of rain or being in the water, uh, or whether it's going to be in a real dusty environment, or maybe it's like a you know, football game or something, and they want to mic people up, they'll use these instead because they're danger, they're good danger mics. They'll take all the same accessories as their Cos 11Ds, but they only cost hundred bucks. So if they lose it, they're only out hundred dollars and it's way better than losing a $390 Cos 11D. So I see a lot of Cos 11D owners having these as danger mics and, and they're great for that purpose. Plus they got the IP57 rating, so they can handle quite a bit. The downside of this mic is they're kind of easier to break. They are, um, the thin cable is not near as tough as something like a Cos 11, and they're known to break easier, but they're only a hundred bucks. So if you lose one, who cares? So to me, if you are, if you own Cos 11Ds and you want a good backup mic, it's a pretty good option because it'll take all the same accessories. It's a hundred bucks. It's got an IP57 rating. And if you lose it, oh, well, you know, like I, I, that's kind of how I see it now. The problem with these mics, in my opinion, and this is why as a Cause 11D owner, why I never bought any, is it's actually mis, there's a, it's mislabeled. So B&H actually says that it has a max SPL of 130 decibels, but that's actually not true. 
If you look in the manual of this mic, it's 110 decibels. It's mislabeled on most websites. In fact, I contacted Deity to confirm this, and they did confirm that the max SPL rating on the WLAP Pro is 110 decibels. So even though it says that the SPL rating on b is 130 max SPL, it's not true. It's 110 decibels, meaning this mic distorts pretty easily. So if you were using this as a danger mic, filming something like a football game, and someone yells, this mic is probably going to clip. It can't handle super loud sounds at 100 decibel, 110 decibel levels. And a lot of people I know that have these mics have had distortion issues in loud environments because of that. Um, so that to me is a big drawback. They do have a built-in presence boost, kind of like a Cos 11D, so they're going to punch through clothing pretty well. But that also, again, means they're not going to handle high-pitched women voices as well. And I've heard that the presence boost in this is so strong that sometimes people sound symbolic. Uh, however, I think it's pretty decent for the price. For $100, I think if you're just looking for a nice danger mic, you're not super worried about the max SPL rating because you're just going to use it for normal dialogue and you just want something to have as a backup mic that can cut with your Cause 11 ds fairly well, that has a presence boost for punching through clothes and has an IP rating, it's a good mic to have in your kit. Um, just know when you buy it, there's a reason why it costs $100 and that reason is it just doesn't have the dynamic range or the max SPL. And uh, it, it sounds pretty good, actually, but I wouldn't consider it like as good as some of the other options we talked about today, but it's not bad either. So it's a pretty nice mic. So if you're looking for a $100 mic, something that you can use as a danger mic that works with your Cause 11 accessories, this is a pretty good option. The last mic I want to talk about is the Sennheiser MKE2 Gold. Now, I want to I pull it up first, the ME2, because I don't want you to make this mistake. This is kind of a common mistake, but it's easy to think that the ME2 and the MKE2 are the same thing, but they're not. The ME2, the Sennheiser ME2 is a $129 mic that comes standard with most Sennheiser systems, uh, like the G3, G4s. For a while, they came out with the ME2 2, but I read that's recently been discontinued. That was a stupid mic because the um, <laughs> you couldn't take the windscreen off of it, which is dumb. But on the new one, uh, on the older version, which I think they're going back to the regular ME2, you can take the windscreen off of. But anyway, this $129 mic typically comes standard with most Sennheiser transmitters. And it's not a bad mic. I wouldn't consider it to be a great mic, but eh, it's not bad. You know, if it's what you got, it's what you got. But the MKE2 Gold is different. It's not the same mic. It's made by Sennheiser, but the MKE2 is different than the ME2. So the ME2 is what comes with the transmitters typically. The MKE2 is an aftermarket product. And it is a $390 mic if you get it uh, terminated. And it's got a, as you can see in this picture right here, it's got a very thin cable and a pretty small mic head. And it's got a really nice max SPL of 142. So this can handle some loud sounds. And the sensitivity rating is not the highest, it's five MVPA. So if you're comparing this to something like, I, I think the best thing to compare it to would be like a 6061 or 4061, because those have a six MVPA sensitivity and a 144 decibel max SPL rating. So I would consider the 6060 still to have more dynamic range because it can handle 144 versus 142 decibels and is six MVPA sensitive versus five. But overall, this has a very similar performance to a 6061 or 4061 in terms of dynamic range. Pretty good, can handle loud sounds and reasonably sensitive. 
Um, these are really, really nice mics and they've got a nice rich sound and a very thin cable making them pretty easy to hide under clothes. And they're pretty tough mics. I've heard of nothing but good things about them. Now, these do not have an IP rating. So if you dunk these in water like a Cos 11D, they'll probably fall apart on you. Um, but they're pretty good mics and at $390, they're reasonably priced. Now, would you buy this over a Cos 11? Uh, it depends. The Cos 11 is going to be tougher. Um, and the Cos 11 has a smaller mic capsule, so a little bit easier to hide the mic capsule, but the MKE-2 has a smaller cable, which could be easier to hide in some situations, and a higher dynamic range. So it kind of just depends on what you prefer. But it's a pretty good mic. The big downside to me on this mic is the fact that it says it requires 7.5 volts of operating voltage in order to work, and that takes a pretty good pretty strong transmitter to be able to handle that. None of my devices could handle that. So it's not an option for me. The Cos 11 at a three volt minimum is more widely usable. So I think the Cos 11 for most people is going to be a better choice. But if you have a transmitter that can output seven and a half volts or more, this could be a really nice option. Um, but that's a pretty popular mic um, because it sounds really good and has a really nice dynamic range. And again, it's kind of similar dynamic range to the 6060. Uh, and and again, sounds pretty good. Those are the mics I want to talk about today. I mean, there are other lav mics on the market. There's some by like companies called like, like like Point Source Audio or Microphone Madness. But these are some of the more popular options that you're going to find in professional sound mixers bags. Uh, in my opinion, again, DPA makes the best mics on the market. I think the Cos 11 is 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 right there with them. It, Again, it's not going to have the dynamic range, the IP rating, or the frequency boost cap options as the DPAs, but it's got a long, rich history of being tough and durable and will last you a long time. So if you're looking for a good all-around mic, I think for most people, the Cos 11D is, is the key. But if you want to spend a little bit more money and have like one type of mic that can do pretty much anything, either a DPA 4060 or 6060 is going to be uh, your best option. And then, of course, you have all these other mics that can serve different purposes depending on what you're filming. So these are really great options. There are other options out there again. Uh, one other thing I do want to make note of is that mics come in different color options. And so when you are shopping for a mic, keep that in mind. Um, I like to keep black, white, and beige in my kit. Some companies even make gray and brown. I use black for hiding on dark clothing. I also think black is most acceptable if you're going to show a mic intentionally. Like uh, I have a summit coming up where I'm wanting to show a mic externally on clothes. So I think showing a mic in that case makes sense, but it needs to be black. You don't want like a white mic on, on the outside of someone's jacket. I mean, that looked kind of weird. Um, but then again, white is great for hiding on doctor's clothes or for hiding under white button-up shirts where a black cable might be seen. Uh, beige is great also for hiding under white shirts because it blends in with Caucasian skin tones um, and also works if you're hiding in hair or on ears or it, like I have a client, I used to have a client that would like to run their mics up above their neck through their hair and into their ball cap and a black wire up a neck would be really noticeable. So something that's kind of beige on a Caucasian person, because this person was Caucasian, would blend in better under their hair and be less noticeable on camera. Um, same thing with people that run mics like over the ear uh, and hide it into glasses if you're Caucasian. Um, a beige color mic will be better there. Same thing with brown color mics on on uh, more like Hispanic skin tones. And then, uh, of course, black mics for darker skin tones as well. Um, and again, those mics can also be used, different colors can be used for hiding on different, different clothing types. Doctors, for example, I do a lot of medical stuff. Doctors' jackets are notorious for being awful for hiding mics under because they make such a scratchy sound. They're just an awful, awful clothing type for hiding mics. So having a white mic allows you to hide a mic like out through the... Um, collar 
and it not be very noticeable like a black mic would be. So white mics are great for doctor's clothing. Again, button-up shirts, black, great for dark clothing and beige for Caucasian skin tones. Um, if you're going to hide the mic on skin or or under shirts and you want it to blend in with skin if it's a light color shirt. So those are things to pay attention to is that there's different color options. One last thing that I do want to mention about lob mics is that they usually come in different pickup patterns. The two most common pickup patterns are going to be omnidirectional and cardioid, with omnidirectional being the most popular. Omnidirectional means that the mic is going to have a pickup pattern that's more all around, whereas a cardioid pickup pattern is going to be a little bit more directional. This can be great if you're trying to reject unwanted sound and focus just on whatever the mic's pointed at, whereas omnidirectional is going to pick up more things. However, cardioid mics are a lot harder to work with when it comes to lob mics because if you have a directional pickup pattern and someone's voice turns away from it, you're gonna lose the voice. It's not gonna sound that great. Whereas an omnidirectional mic, if someone turns, it's still gonna, you're gonna tell, like you're gonna tell they're not right underneath the mic anymore, especially if it's like chest mounted, for example, but it's not gonna be nearly as severe as them turning away from a directional cardioid mic. So if you pick up a, a lob mic with a cardioid pickup pattern, it's just less forgiving and it's riskier in terms of not capturing as rich a sound as you want to capture. In certain applications, it can be really great, but for most things, an omnidirectional pickup pattern is going to be better because it's way more forgiving and allows people to turn their heads while still being able to pick up the sound fairly well. Um, I would say that omnidirectional is probably the route to go for pretty much everybody listening to this podcast. There are some use cases for cardioid pickup patterns, but I would say that for most people, myself included, omnidirectional makes more sense in terms of lav mics. Now, I have super cardioid and cardioid and shotgun mics that I use for booming for different situations, but when it comes to lav mics specifically, omnidirectional lav mics tend to be better choice than cardioid live lav mics for most people in most situations. Every lav mic that we talked about today is an omnidirectional lav, but these companies do make cardioid versions. I just want to make you aware of that before you go out and buy a lav mic, pay attention and make sure it's an omnidirectional lav mic unless you have a very specific use case for a more directional cardioid lav mic. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like it, let me know. Leave me a comment and please rate the podcast. I really want to know what you like about it. And if you don't like the podcast for some reason, also let me know. You can shoot me an email so that I can uh, be aware of what I can do better next time. And also be sure to go to Facebook, join the Filming with Josh group. And if you have any questions about this podcast, post it there, or you can shoot me an email directly, but I'd love to communicate with you and uh, help any question, answer any questions you might have about this podcast. Otherwise, I'll see you all next week. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.